Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome Inside Black and Gold, heading into week 13. The New Orleans Saints coming off another disappointing loss where they got shut out, Jeff. 13 zip to San Francisco. So much to talk about from that game, including more mishaps within the run game, especially with a guy like Alvin Kamara, who everybody expects more from, obviously, but fumbling just hasn't been something that has been an issue for him until this season, of course. Yeah, except for all year. (laughs) (laughs) Except for exactly when it's the worst, right? When it costs you games. In the two games the Saints have lost, without allowing... 20 points or more, Alvin Kamara has fumbled and led directly to the opposing team scoring points. And this was week three against the Panthers where he scored, he fumbled for a touchdown. And now week 12 against the 49ers for a field goal, one of their three scores on the day. They only had a touchdown and two field goals. And one of them was directly following an Alvin Kamara fumble. So like these are games where those little mistakes they are massive because there aren't that many points on the board, right? So, like, you could you could argue that Alvin Kamara was a major reason you lost both of those games, and that's he needs to be a major reason why you win games, you know. But we're gonna we're gonna talk more about Alvin. We're gonna talk more about you know is there a crisis of leadership on this team, uh, which is weird to say because it's a very veteran laden team, but it's really does feel like there is. There is a there's a leadership gap showing up somewhere. And then we're going to get into more from the film. I went through the Saints 49ers film from week 12. It was not a pleasant experience, but that's I've, I feel like I've said this exact thing at least 5 times this season. It was just just bad football. The Saints did move the ball. The offense did move the ball, so we can talk about that. But, you know, obviously they didn't get into the end zone. And it's weird because they were in 49ers territory like the whole game and they just couldn't score. You know, if they if they wanted to go the, the the Bucks route from 2020, where they just kicked a field goal late just to avoid being able to say they were shut out, they could have. They chose not to, which I I think is the right move. But we're getting to some of the things I noticed in film. But first, Steve, obviously you were out there in San Francisco. What was the game like? What was the atmosphere like on the sidelines? I keep waiting for the day where we have people screaming at each other and like very clear infighting going on and fracturing. I haven't seen that. But what did you see down there on the sideline? Yeah, definitely not the case at all uh, where you see any in-house strife going on. I will say that the crowd was definitely present and loud. The uh, San Francisco faithful showed up. I wouldn't say that the noise was a factor, but that you could definitely hear them. It wasn't as loud as like the Superdome can get, but it definitely felt, you felt their presence. I got sick and tired of hearing every time the 49ers get a first down. They do the 300 champ. The, oh, ooh. they go first down 49ers. And then the fans go, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, oh, ooh. And, and that happened a lot, unfortunately. But, you know, other than some of the, you know, the injuries that happened in the game, 
there weren't anything where you could tell the team was struggling. Uh, there was a lot of actually animated um, – some of the animated guys on the sideline were on defense, like a shy Tuttle. You could tell him trying to fire up some guys. And I don't know, Jeff. It's just – it's weird because the team has the talent, and they just, for whatever reason, they nothing seems to go their way or go right for them either, whether it's by their own doing, by the referees – Something seems to happen to spoil a drive every single time, it feels like. Yeah, it's got to be tough for the defense. You know, I think the defense actually played really well in that game. Absolutely, yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, Shy Tuttle's over there trying to fire up his defense, but it's like, oh, he's not scoring points. And, (laughs) um, you know, we're going to get into more from the the lack of turnovers and the one that should have been, which is just crazy that that play didn't happen. But uh, we'll get more of that. But first, I do have to say, Steve, remember when I told you that I, I partnered with a clothing brand and they sent me a Steelers shirt? Yes. Well, this time they sent me a good shirt. They sent me a Saints shirt. And uh it's actually nice. It's a so it's a, called Ulta Pro is the is the is the is the brand. It's a nice little shirt. It's like a baseball shirt. Yeah, yeah. And like they three quarters right black and gold. It's actually really nice. I like it a lot. I'm glad I'm glad I get to wear it. And so anyone watching, anyone listening on the podcast, if you want a free shirt, I'm gonna be tweeting out the details for the giveaway we're doing. So keep an eye out for that. I'm going to throw it in the show notes for this show when when it's done. So if you if you want to go Ooh. back to the recording, and uh, we'll be giving away one to whoever wins. So they'll have the instructions on how to enter. And yeah, it'll be a nice little giveaway. We can do these every couple of months. Um, whenever this is this, I don't get anything out of this other than the the shirt and the fact that we can give it away to one of our listeners. So that's uh, that's what I I thought it was an interesting little partnership we could start. Throw I'll throw the link for the actual like place you can go buy them. And uh, yeah, in, in the description too. So um, yeah, I'm glad they sent me the right brand or the right team. Another step uh, for Inside the Black and Gold moving up in the podcast universe, our first giveaway. Yeah, our next step would be getting having you say the name right. What, I said Inside Black and Gold. You said Inside the Black and Gold. I'm going to have to re- I'm gonna throw the red flag like in the commercials and go yeah. back and listen. Well, you, you, we don't need to, yeah, because we <laughs> have it recorded. We can go back. You definitely said it. And you're that's not the name anyway. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, that shirt's there. Uh, keep an eye out. You can, there's my Twitter handle. It's at Jeff underscore Noak N O W A K. Check that out. I'm going to post the details tomorrow morning along with the show. So keep an eye out for that. Anyway, moving on. One of the things that I know people have been critical of regarding Dennis Allen has been his demeanor on the sidelines. And there was an interview with Mark Ingram where he talked about like, oh yeah, you know, if I fumbled, he was on, he did was an interview with Mark and Sean Payton. I can't remember who, it might have been Kay Adams. And he was talking about how like, oh yeah, if I had done that when you were on the team, you know, oh man, you know? And it, it, like people kind of took that as like, wow, he, Dennis Allen doesn't scare Mark Ingram. Like he's not putting the fear of God in these in these kids. And I, I don't know how true that is. You know, I don't know what, what goes on behind the scenes. But yeah, Dennis Allen is not the most animated person, especially on the sideline. Like you don't see him getting, you know, he'll like have these expressions, and but he's never like chewing somebody out. He's never fighting with the refs. And so here's what he had to say about that. And I thought his answer in his interview this week on Monday was actually really interesting because uh, he kind of acknowledged a lot of what people have been kind of questioning. I don't know. I felt like I had plenty of emotion on the sideline yesterday. I think we can only see so much. You know, um, yeah, look, my personality is the way that my personality is. And I think our coaching staff's personality is the way that it is. We've got to we've got to do a better job of demanding that things be done exactly right, and all of us have to take accountability for it. Um, 
That's why this is a that's why this is a team game. But yeah, I don't think I don't think yelling and screaming is the answer to everything. I mean, all of us have been parents, right? Or at least most of us in this room have been parents and um, I haven't found that when I yell and scream at my kids that the the uh, the product changes. Um, usually, when you when you teach, um, that's when that's when those things change. So, a few things. One, you're talking to a room of sports reporters. Don't you? You shouldn't be assuming everyone in there has kids. I would say the majority right. of the people in that room don't have kids. I don't I have agree. kids. I know you have a child, but you know. No, but I would agree. A lot I think of, most people in the room don't. There's a lot of childless people in there, and it's because like the schedule of being a sports reporter is not conducive to having kids. Either way, like I thought it was a weird thing for him to assume about the the room. But the other thing is like, do you think that treating the team the same way you treat your children is the way to go about this? They're doing no; these are professionals. Those are your children. And and this is like I say this all the time. I don't think Dennis Allen understands how to communicate with the media and how to, and how what he says comes off as because it's like that just feels like a disconnected thought of like no, you should not be coaching your team of professional athletes the same way you would raise your children. He was trying is that a to bold say statement. That. I don't think that's a bold statement. I think he was trying to put out there kind of that yelling doesn't equate to quality coaching. In, in, equate to people learning where, you know, when someone's screaming at you, you kind of maybe, I don't want to say tune it out, but you're, you're less likely to listen and maybe, you know, take down some pointers as something that's going to help you instead of being basically ridiculed. Um, So yeah, I, 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 it was definitely a little awkward on how he explained that. And I agree with that to an extent, right? Like, I don't think that you should be constantly ripping into your players. You should be trying to build them up, not tear them down. I agree with that. I I mainly, I'm just a big metaphor analogy guy, and that's just missed so badly that it's like, don't, don't compare your team to your kids. Anyway, I do think that there is a media, there is a middle ground you have to hit, and I'm not sure he hits it enough. You know, like we, the only time I can remember him really getting upset and animated it was in training camp when you had like three fights within three days and he like huddled everyone together and he like cursed him out and was like you know play freaking football and i was like good like that's the type of coaching that i'd like to see because it's like i just there when i see this team you don't team a team to be afraid to make mistakes right like mistakes happen it's un it's it's impossible to avoid there just seems to be this like kind of dispassionate attitude around the team. And I don't know if it's just an issue getting players fired up, but like, like DA said, his, his personality is his personality. So it's not going to change. He's not going to magically become a different person. And the question is more, is his coaching style conducive to quality, winning, comprehensive attention to detail, football and you could make a real argument that it's not based on what we have seen this season because when he was a coordinator and when Sean Payton was running the show the defense was always on point and the team itself always seemed to be on point I'm not sure that can be said about the team this year and 
you know, it's not all on Dennis Allen, but I do think it comes down to, it comes back to him at the end of the day. And while he doesn't think that kicking and screaming all the time and screaming and yelling all the time is the best option for a head coach, I would like to see it sometimes because when you're star running back, is fumbling twice in key situations in a game that you should have been able to win or at least be competitive in. He should be getting chewed out on the sideline. Like that's that's something that should happen. And like I get it, he's Alvin Kamara, he's a superstar. You have to kind of you have to cater to them a little bit. I mean, there, if there's not accountability for that, what is there accountability for? Well, you, you pointed out obviously his record this year. And then you go back and look for his time uh, with the Raiders. His coaching record is 12 wins, 36 losses. That's a pretty decent amount of sample size for you to, to, you know, it's not, it's not just a small sample size of games that he's been involved in. So I I don't know. I feel like it kind of is what it is with Dennis Allen. And it does not, it doesn't appear that his style or the way he talks to his players is coming across, which is it's really strange because you would think from a defensive minded guy that he'd be a lot more hard hitting and aggressive. And I don't know. We just don't see that side of Dennis Allen at all. And he obviously had the respect of this defense for years. And I'm not saying the team doesn't respect him right now, but they don't they don't seem to be responding to him either. I think this team really likes Dennis Allen. I think the players really like Dennis Allen. And that's not, that's to me, that's not in question. Like this team likes to play for Dennis Allen. The players like to play for Dennis Allen. It's really just a question of whether the, the larger kind of picture of the coaching and the team cohesion is hitting its mark. And, uh, you know, D- James Hurst, I talked today, um, talked to the media today, and I thought he had some interesting things today. Here's, here's a bit of what James had to say. I don't think that's on coaching. It's it's on the players. Um, it seems like, you know, everyone across the line, tight ends, you know, have had false starts at times. And, you know, my opinion personally is that it's uh, a personal accountability. You know, uh, no no coaches uh, telling you, um, you know, when to when to go. So um, that, that's on us. That's that happens on the on the playing field on Sundays. The coaches are not out there playing. They're not out there lining up. So it's a personal, it's a player accountability that, um, you know, if you jump, you know, that that's on you. And we got to understand if it's a communication issue, then that's on the people involved with whatever communication was happening uh, prior to the snap. But that is a, that's a player, that's a player issue. And I think there's merit to that, right? Like, like we can't, I think it's unfair to heap all of the criticism at Dennis Allen's feet. He is the head coach. So it, it does eventually get to him. But, you know, there, there is a player element to this, right? There, I don't know if, if, Dennis, if there's anything Dennis Allen could be doing differently that would stop your star right tackle from false starting on a fourth and five snap in a key moment of the game, right? Like, I, I don't see how, how that is on the coaching. But, you know, it, it is, it is, it is a, just a question that you have to continue to answer because you have to find a, a thread that you can pull to fix the issue. And it, these are the same players, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like this is a brand new roster. It's not like this is a brand new coaching staff. You look at, okay, what has changed and what is not working. And that's, and that's where you land. But I, I think that, that again, it's like, yeah, Ryan Ramchek should hold himself to a higher standard of that. I'm sure he does. Right. 
you know, Chris Harris should hold himself to a higher standard than than what he did in that game. You know, I don't think that that illegal contact penalty was should ever be called, but that late hit out of bounds right before the only touchdown of the game that set him up at the five-yard line, that's 100% on the 12-year veteran who should never make that play. So, you know, like fundamentally, I think there are, there are flaws within this team. I think there's a talent deficit in, in key spots. And I think that there is an accountability issue. And uh, You mentioned yeah. that hit out of bounds there. That That's definitely a, an area, uh, a point of the game where Dennis Allen was riled up and angered, which you, you would obviously expect. But yeah, and, and you just could feel it the way this season has been going too after that penalty to keep, you know, San Fran's drive alive. You knew you knew they were going to get into the end zone. And just the way they scored on that touchdown too was just absolutely ridiculous. Well, I, I think that, that they would have had a first down either way. The It was really just instead of snapping it from the 10, they snapped it from the five. So like they could have still scored a touchdown there with, with, with that penalty or without it. But it was just, it's like the, the circumstances that went into why that penalty occurred is just a, such a good example of like the, the fundamental mistakes that have been being made by this team. And that's like, if that was Alante Taylor, right? If it was Paulson Adebo, even a second year player, you'd been like, okay, you know, he just, he's kind of, you know, he's a young guy. He made a mistake. He's a 12 year NFL veteran. And it wasn't close. Like, that's a foul. Every, like, you can complain about a lot of the calls in that game. That wasn't one of them. That was an easy call to make. He was two steps out of bounds. He just pushes them. And it's like, God, man. Like, if that's a 6 nothing game at halftime, you know, it's a different feeling. Once it got to 10, you were like, yeah, I don't think the Saints are going to score 10. <laughs> I think that they were going to get in the end zone once or none. No, and, it definitely uh, felt right there. It was like, oh, great. Here here we go. That, 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 that kind of sealed the deal right there. I, I feel you totally right there. Well, and then and then how they scored with with Tyron, like oh, he got his full hand on the ball. Like it, if he was a receiver, you would have expected him to come down with that with one hand. Yeah, he's a he's a safety, so he's not. You know, if he was if he had hands like that, he would be a receiver. And uh, and, and the frustrating thing is, a lot of times you'll see that happen, and it's like he'll tip it up and he'll catch it. Right. In this case, Jawan Jennings just happened to be falling at the perfect spot to just you know catch it and um goddamn Jawan Jennings he's also the guy if you remember in the the fi- finale of last season when the 49ers beat the Rams he was all over the field in that game he just he's a Saints killer <laughs> and he he had a really good game a guy who I didn't even know how to spell his name until you know until, <laughs> until that game uh, there's no there's only one j in it it is j a u a n interesting right yeah not not the way Jawan Johnson spells his name right <laughs> yeah, it's instead of Jawan, it's Jawan. But yeah, so I, I but I do think I do think that there isn't there is there is there are serious questions to be asked about the coaching staff. And I again, like I know I know people want to see Dennis Allen fired. I don't think you're going to see him fired. Maybe in the off season if things go very badly, he's not going to get fired mid season. You have five games left. It's not, it wouldn't even be worth it at this point. And I think this this team understands that it's not unreasonable for a coach to have struggles in year one. I will. I do think that, and I think we've might've mentioned this before that Dennis is going to have to make some changes to the coaching staff, not necessarily himself, obviously, but you could be looking at a new offensive coordinator, obviously with P Carmichael jr. Uh, struggling this year, <laughs> this year, the, the, it doesn't seem like th- there's a good game. And then it seems like three or four bad games, uh, it just hasn't been consistent at all at, at all with this offense. And 
what they what kind of quote unquote identity you know we talk about that right now and we, you know we you, you think the identity of this team would be to run the football and let Andy Dalton manage the game and they really have not been able to run the football well that would be one hell of a decision if DA went and fired himself <laughs> like yeah we need to make changes <laughs> we need changes I'm out of here I'm out of here <laughs> no I agree like I think that's where you land right you you say okay we're not going to make sweeping changes on this team, but we need to find areas that we can make adjustments. And I think that, yeah, I like, I like Pete Carmichael. I think he's a really good football mind. I don't think that he is a great fit to be the leader of an offense, right? Like he is a coordinator through and through. And when you have a defensive head coach, you effectively need your offensive coordinator to be the head coach of the offense. And it was the main reason I didn't think he was going to get the job. And I don't think he wanted the job because it's like, you need that. Like we talk about DA holding people accountable, but it's like, you don't want your head coach who is a defensive guy who spends most of his time in the defensive meeting room, chewing out your running back over something that, you know, he's not going to be the one who's installing the offense, right? Like that needs to be the offensive coordinator. And I just don't know if he's a powerful enough personality, Pete, to, to do that, you know? And so like, that's where I would start. I think the defense has been fine. I actually think that they played really well in that game. Absolutely. And and it's really just a question of like, what is the Saints team? What is their identity? Obviously, they like we thought they were a running team and they proved early on in that game they could not run the ball. And weren't even gonna try. I don't know what it is. But I think that's where I that's where I would start. You know, I, I do think, you know, we've talked about this. Alvin Kamara, he hasn't spoken to the media in the last three weeks, four weeks. And I think in the locker room after the game, he said it, he was. It, it's an on advice of his attorneys that he he's not talking to the media, which I don't like that excuse. Yeah, he said that through you know media relations, basically that he's not going to speak due to his legal issues, and he's not even talking about football issues, which that makes no sense to me, especially no. as a team captain. Right, he's a team captain. It is like his responsibility to talk to the press. Like Chris Olave talked to the media after the game. Kay Nellis talked to us today. James Hurst. It's like Alvin has to answer for, you know, it's like, I get it. He had a rough game. You got to talk to the press. Like that's, that's your job. I'm sorry. Like, and, and it's annoying that because that excuse is not a good excuse because you know what, like he's been in these interviews. We've done it already. He's going to get asked once. He's going to say no comment. It's an ongoing legal matter. Yeah. And then it's gonna, comment. and then the rest of the questions are going to be about something else, like because you're not going to keep hammering him with questions about something he's not going to answer. He's only have so much time to talk to these guys, and I think using that as an excuse is just him dodging the media, and it's not a very team captain thing to do. I, I also have questions about why Demario doesn't talk to the media more often. We don't hear from Demario every week. We should be, but we do not hear from Demario every week. We we talked to Kate that. Nellis twice in the last two weeks and have not talked to Demario. DeMario has said before in losses in locker room, oh, I, I talk on Mondays. Well, he didn't talk today, which was essentially Monday for the team. We had right. Caden Ellis, not DeMario. Right. Like you can't be a team leader only when it's convenient for you, you know? And and like that's talking to the media is something that the team leaders are supposed to do. Sending Caden Ellis out there to talk to us for the second consecutive week is not a good look. And I think when you look at it, when you're talking about a, a void in leadership, that's the type of thing that I think stands out. I would at agree least totally. To just it's it's really disappointing too. I, I talk, we talked a little obviously before the show, and it just 
you hate to bang on a guy like Alvin Kamara because when he does talk, he's he's been fantastic. He's definitely the favorite interview in the locker room. But right now, especially after having that lousy of a game, you want to you want to hear from your leaders and just avoiding them and using his legal issues as that veil is just really not becoming. Yeah, it's an excuse. It's an excuse. The team isn't playing well, and he's and he's he's bummed about it. and He doesn't want to talk about it. But it's an excuse. It's not. It's not a valid excuse. So yeah, I I, I totally get to why then, you know, that kind of trickles down to other players. You would imagine, like, well, if you know, Alvin Kamara, Demario Davis, these team leaders aren't speaking. Now we didn't hear from Cam Jordan, but he's obviously uh, was hurt last game, and he just came back this week. Didn't see him in the locker room post game. But he's always been a guy that has stood up and taken the bullets, even when things aren't, you know, going the right way. But yeah, yeah I mean, for, he talked me, with a busted eye uh, after right. the after the Steelers game, right? He wore sunglasses. Right, right. But for me, when you when you don't have two of your top key guys, Demario Davis and Alvin Kamara, wanting to stand up and and be those the focal point for your team after those tough games. It's just not a good look. And it makes people, to me, question Dennis Allen's leadership even more when yeah. you have players not doing this. Well, right. Like, it's it's like you need people to be accountable. And I just don't think, feel like that has been the case this season. And I think you've seen the results of that on the field where through week 12, you're still seeing the same exact disconnected type play and disconnected type activity. And it's cost you games. It's cost you multiple games. And at this point, it's like you only have four wins in 12 tries. You know, that's, that's a problem. But all right, let's wrap up that segment there and we'll come back and talk a little about the film. Stick around for that on Inside Black and And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I just have to say, USA, USA, because uh, we won. I believed and we won. It's a good thing, right? Hey, we need something to cheer about for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a fun game. I watched it. It was one of those games where you kind of spent the first half of the game being like, this is going to be another scoreless tie because that's the worst thing about soccer and it's going to happen again. And they ended up winning one to nothing, which is only slightly better. But hey, you know, we get another game. I'm sure they're going to get beaten to to the bricks by the Netherlands. I'll be in Atlanta to watch that game because I'm heading out to Atlanta for the SEC championship. If anyone was wondering, that's that's good stuff. But this is Inside Black and Gold. We're talking about the Saints. And I went through the Saints film today and it was not a pretty picture. And the, the first thing I, I will say right now is Chris Olave needs to hold on to the goddamn ball. <laughs> I mean, like we can bitch all we want about the refs and the officiating and they were bad. And that should have been called a catch. And if you go back to week two, it was called a catch and a fumble. That's what drives me the most nuts is if you go back and you watch, I tweeted this. If you go back and you watch that play in week two where Chris Olave caught it and went to the ground and dropped it, and then the Bucks recovered and it was a fumble, it was the exact same play. The only difference is he wasn't touched. So it was a fumble. In this case, he was touched. So he should have been down by contact. So the fumble wouldn't have counted. And so the, the refs suck and they still suck. They always sucked and it hasn't changed. But... You are a professional catcher of footballs. That is your job. I don't know. I, I, I want to talk to him and ask him, like, if these are drills that you do to, like, learn how to fall with the ball in your hands. Because it just seems like it's just not something he's good at. 
No, like we see Alvin on the balance board or doing all those crazy things with his trainer. I would imagine that Olave is going to have to hook up with somebody that's going to, whether it's those foam, you know, bats that you have to, you know, every time he catches the ball or, you know, I don't know if he can really simulate falling to the ground though. What are you talking about? If you don't have to simulate falling to the ground, you could just fall. I know, but then they're like, oh, Chris Olave hurt his shoulder in practice, falling to the ground, and he's out for the season. You know, I'm just worried about that kind of thing. No, I'm sorry. You should be <laughs> able to practice falling to the ground with a ball. I mean, like, just have Jameis throw you the ball and catch it and fall. Like, that should be a natural <laughs> thing. But it's like he doesn't understand how to do it, and that's what's frustrating. Because he, he just never got touched at Ohio State. I don't know. Well, I just think in college, you, you, when you fall, you're done. You know what I mean? Like when you hit the ground, like that week in week two, that fumble, even if it was called a catch in college, he'd have been down by contact, right? So yeah. like, I think there, to an extent, you don't have to know how to fall because you don't have to worry about getting up. And I don't know. I mean, that should have been a catch 100% of the time. That should have been a catch. But it's like, if it's, if, it, if that wasn't a catch, then week two shouldn't have been a catch. I don't know. Anyway, but he's got to learn how to, how to catch the ball. Jawan Johnson, in the last five minutes of that game, had the ball bounce off his hands twice. One of them was on the fumble by Alvin Kamara, but like he was right there. He, he could have been able to corral that ball, and it would have turned a fumble into a into a huge play. It would have been a touchdown. It's like that everything. For like us, you though. saw that happen to the 49ers, right? Like yeah, Tyron Matthew made a play and popped up in the air and they caught a touchdown. The same thing could have happened for the Saints, but they didn't do it. Like that's the difference in that game, right? Juwan Johnson on the next drive had a ball bounce off his face mask and he wanted a penalty. But it's like, no, just catch the damn ball. Taysom Hill had a ball bounce off his goddamn face mask. And you could say, well, why are we throwing a fade to Taysom Hill in the end zone? I'm going to say, catch the freaking ball. You're a football player. Anyway. Absolutely. You go back to the film and you look at this game and the, the most frustrating thing is that the Saints very much could have won this game. It was a game they went into as nine-point underdogs and should not have had a chance to win and did have a chance to win. The defense kept them in the game and the offense could not get it done. And it's like, you can blame Andy Dalton if you want. It's always easy to blame the quarterback. I don't think he played that badly. He had that one really awkward thing where you like threw the yeah. ball at the feet of Chris Olave and it was because Alvin Kamara came through on the on the zone read or whatever, the, you know, the, the play action and like the ball got bumped. And so he lost the laces and he tried to throw it. And it just was like, oh yeah, there's that picture going around where he's throwing the ball and you know the laces are on the other side, and of course people have latched onto that and are just killing him on it. Well, it's like you know when you don't have the depth perception to see why it happened, right? Like when you see it from the broadcast angle, it's just like this is an NFL quarterback. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, and you can see like he like been like oh no, you know he did like the the the. Uh, what is it called? The Cobra, the um, okay. the surrender Cobra, and it's just that's what he did after that. But no, I like you go through the film, and I like, and this is why, I, you know, I, well, I think James Winston should be the starting quarterback. Like I do, I've said that I'm on record. I've said it a billion times. But you go back through the film and you watch this game, and you're like, Andy Dalton's not the reason that they they didn't get in the end zone, right? Like. <laughs> Like it, so, it's like you, you go back and you're trying to find reasons for them to bench him and go to Jameis Winston, and like that's he's not playing that badly, you know. It, it, it like whether you think he should be the starter or not, nothing he did in this game is like gonna make you feel like, oh man, he should never be the starting quarterback for this team because he's the exact same guy he was when they put him in the first time, and like they moved the ball. Like they got into the red zone so many times, they got into the red zone enough times that if all you did was kick field goals, you you might have won that game.
But if if Will Lutz makes them, well, right, right, right. Well, <laughs> if, I, that's the thing. So here here's the thing. Like you look at kind of like the alternative reality of that game. Chris Olave's catch stands up. You don't get in the end zone where you kick a field goal. Suddenly it's three to three, right? You go into halftime. You're down ten to three. The 49ers get the ball after halftime, and it is thirteen to three. Well, now when you get to fourth and five, and you have the option of kicking a forty-one yard field goal or going for it, you probably do kick it because then you're down thirteen to six, and you know that makes sense because it's only one score and it's a forty-one yard field goal instead of a forty-six yard field goal, and maybe he makes it, right? Because that does make a difference. And then you get down to the to the red zone, and those possessions, there's a lot more game pressure on the 49ers when it's like, oh man, they could tie this. You know, and so maybe if you're not pressing, Alvin Kamara isn't isn't desperately trying to get into the end zone there and he doesn't hold the ball up and get it popped up. I don't like a lot could have changed based on that one catch. And yeah, and it's like you make excuses all day long. It's frustrating, but like I don't know what Andy could have done differently in that game is, is kind of my larger point. And like, maybe, maybe Jameis would have been more aggressive. Maybe you would have been able to push the ball downfield, but when you can't run the ball and the saints could not run the ball, a lick in that game, it becomes very difficult for any quarterback. I don't care who it is to move the ball. And you know, when you get to fourth, first and goal at the four and you don't feel like you can run it when you get fourth and one at your own 46 and you don't feel like you can just plow ahead for a first down, you are already playing at a deficit, and that's what the Saints were doing in this game. Yeah, that's what Chris, as your friend, was asking. Why did they throw four times? Exactly like you said, they they couldn't run the football, and that you felt they believed that too, and that was the problem. That that's like nothing they were doing was working. No matter who they were handing the ball off to, it just wasn't getting done. Well, it looked like I'm going to get this guy's name wrong. Talent, talent, talent. Noah, is that how you say it? Oh, on the Niners. Yeah, Talanoa Hufunga. Yeah, Hufunga. I, I know that. I know that's Hufunga. Right. I just don't want to say his first name. I think it's Talanoa. Anyway, so Alvin Kamara's first fumble. You watch it, and I tweeted this. If you want to see it, go to my Twitter account. I got yelled at for posting game film on the YouTube channel. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's first and 10, and you are handing the ball off to, to Alvin. The ball is snapped at the 40. He has to make Hufunga miss at the 35-yard line. And the reason is, he came up late on a blitz and you would have thought that he knew the snap count based on the timing with which he got up yeah. there. And like, it was so per like no one saw him. And that, that was another thing. I think it was pretty loud at that point. Cause you could see like Kevin white, Ryan Ramchek, Drake once, Smith. they were all looking in for the snap. And so he literally just ran by them blind. Cause they were, they were, they had to look in to see the ball and he just went in behind him. And so like Alvin made him miss. But, you know, I have a feeling that when you look – what if, if you're Alvin and you're like – that you're already having to make a move in the backfield and then it's like maybe your bus security isn't where you want because you're already out of sorts. And I have a feeling that might have played a role in that fumble. But it's like there's clearly a tip going on there. Like he knew the snap count. It was not a guess. It was too perfect to be a guess. And then he doubled down on that because on the second drive, he did it again. And he, he perfectly guessed the snap count and got in on a blitz. And it actually didn't – you actually got the benefit – of a Taysom Hill false start because if it wasn't a false start, he was going to tackle Mark Ingram in the backfield for a three, four yard loss. And you're going to be looking at seven, second and 14 instead of first and 15. And it's like that. The, the first, one time you can be like, Oh, maybe he just got really lucky. The second time it's like, no, he, he is keying on the snap count and you are doing something that is tipping off the, the cadence to him. 
And I think that, you know, and James Hurst mentioned this, uh, they changed some things up after the first couple of possessions. And I think it worked because he didn't really get that perfect run in the, the rest of the game. But it's like that's not that's not a good thing when you're when you're an offense and you're like, man, they know exactly what we're gonna do and they're they're ready for it. And that's what it felt like in this game. Yeah, you're talking about Hufunga. That's a guy that was a fifth round draft pick and is having a hell of a sophomore really season. Good. He's really good. Yeah. He forced that second fumble too. Right. And I mean, uh I I I see in here too from Chris is your friend saying Taysom Hill four times, hell nah, he's gonna get a TD. I don't know what makes you believe that they were dialed in on Taysom. That might be one of the few games I've seen him actually struggle as a runner. I think he only ended up with like two yards of carry after that game, and he got hit hard. They were definitely locked and loaded on him, and he wasn't able to to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I would like to have seen them try, but I don't think it would have worked. I really don't. like, And I don't think the Saints thought it would have worked either, or they would, or else they would have done it. Um, because you saw them like – they could run it in in non-running downs, right? Like you saw them have some success on like first and 10, second and long, but like you would not see them have success in in third and short, in fourth and short, in, you know, first and goal, second and goal, third and goal. Like when the field is that compressed and they don't have to, and they can just crash the safeties down, you are not going to be able to run. And that was a problem. And I, I think part of it's Josh Andrews, right? Like, you will Eric McCoy is really, 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 really good. And Josh Andrews is not like, I don't want to hate on Josh Andrews. He's a backup. He's doing his job, but that's like when you lose your star players, that is what happens is you have to, you have to find ways to win without them and not having your star center makes it really difficult to run up the middle, right? Like we're not talking about getting to the edge. We're not talking, we're talking about like fourth and one, third and one. You want to just be able to plow ahead. And the guy you're trying to plow behind is your center. And, you know, obviously there's a guard on either side of him and you have to pick a, you have to pick a gap, but that makes it difficult when you don't trust the center to be a road grader like Eric McCoy has been, you know, and I think, you know, I want to see Trevor Penning it on the field more because I think he is an asset in those situations. I think he struggles in pass protection and he did in this game, that face mask penalty. And I tweeted this too. It was a good call. They didn't yeah, show it absolutely. on the broadcast for some reason. I don't know why they didn't show it on the broadcast, but you can see it on the all 22. He gets his hand up in Nick Bosa's face and kind of yanks him. And so it was a good call. And the, the flag came out long before the, the DPI penalty came out. So if you're one of those like, oh, it's, you know, they only threw it because they wanted to negate that. No, it came out first and it was the right call. Um, but like his, his asset in the run game, I think, is what's going to get him on the field sooner rather than later. Like I like James Hurst. I think James Hurst is solid, but I don't think that he's a good enough blocker in the run game. And this needs to be a running football team. And you saw how difficult things can be when you don't feel like you can run the ball, when you don't feel like you have the pieces to block in the run game on third and fourth and short. And yeah, you get shut out for the first time in two decades when that ha- when you can't run the ball. And obviously you're going to need this run game to show up Monday Night Football because the, the Buccaneers, are. I don't know if they're still as stout as they were, but they usually the past couple of years have had a pretty good run defense as well. And yeah, I'm anxious to see more of Trevor Penning. And that was definitely, you know, you mentioned that hands to the uh, face penalty that negated the defensive pass interference, the offensive pass interference, right? Yeah. No defensive pass interference. That was, that was a big buzzkill. And 
you know, you saw the players on the sideline at that moment, you know, reeling from that. And, and obviously those things are going to happen, but man, oh man, I'm telling you just, there's so many times where you see this team trying to put something together or have a big stop, but there's, there's always that little minute thing that comes up and ends up hurting them. It's just, it's been really tough this season. Yeah. And so one of those things was a illegal contact penalty that negated an Alante Taylor interception. It would have been the first of his career and it would have been a massive momentum swinging play in that game. And that seemed like a BS call to me. It was a bad call. I mean, like, I, like by the letter of the law, right? You could have called that illegal contact. But if you're calling that illegal contact, then you need to call every other play that's similar to that illegal contact. And that, that if you did that, you would end up calling illegal contact 40 times a game because that's just that's just contact. Like it happens. It's impossible to not, you know, and, and like, sure, maybe he kept him a little longer than the five-yard line, but it was nowhere near the play. It wasn't like that was where the play went. It didn't affect the play. And the and that was an instance where the flag came out well after the interception. And it was kind of like you watch a basketball game and you see a guy get fouled and then, you know, the the whistle doesn't come until he misses the layup because they didn't want to give him an end one, but because the foul made him miss the layup, they gave him the foul. And it really felt like that. That's what it felt like. It was like, oh, well, since it got intercepted, I should call this. You know, and it was like, so if it just bounced off his hands, maybe you'd get away with it. But it's like, that's not a good look. And uh, I thought Caden Ellis had a really interesting insight on this. Uh, and it's because of what he referenced, which fans probably remember that from last year. I got taken away, and at the time, you don't know what it was. For all you know, it could have been the most egregious penalty of the year. Um, but then watching it, you know, Drew Brees posted it. I don't have social media, but the guy showed me on the plane. And, ah, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, and it hurts. And, um, you know, sometimes, like, at the end of the day, everybody's human. Um, at the end of the day, everybody's going to make mistakes. Um, I remember I had one last year against the Titans, and they took away Marcus Williams' interception because they said I, I hit a guy. I hit uh, Tannehill in an egregious way, which was not true. And they everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. And um, I'm just excited because I know I know Taysom get out there and get another one. And I'm going to celebrate double as hard this time because it's kind of in the bank form now. You don't want to sound like he said Taysom. He said, no, he said, Tay's going to get out there and get another one. But no, it, it, it's like, I'm glad he brought that up because it is very similar. And it's like officiating can be bad, but when it negates a huge play in the game and it's a momentum swinging type play, it makes it even worse. And that's what happened against Tennessee last year. And, and it's a really good callback from him because he was the guy who got flagged. And it was a roughing the passer penalty where they said he got up and hit Tannehill in the head, but it, he really just hit him in the back. And Tannehill went down, but it was like right as the ball got thrown, it wasn't a late hit, and the ball got tipped up. Marcus Williams came down with it for an interception, and it, and it got negated. And instead of a turnover, it ended up being a touchdown later in that drive for the Titans in a game that the Saints lost by two on a failed two-point conversion that Trevor Simeon was throwing to Mark Ingram. How's that for a memory? I didn't even look that up. But no, it's it's very similar. and And it's frustrating when you look back and you see like, how light that contact was. And then you see plays throughout the game where it's like, yeah, but you're calling that, but you're not calling this. And like, I don't think that every close call should be a penalty, but like if you call the minimal contact one time, then you have to call it every time. 
You have to call it when Rashid Shahid is going downfield and the defender literally just has his hand. They're holding hands. And he can't get his arm up to catch the ball because he's holding his arm down. Like you have to call that too. You have to call it when Chris Olave is coming around and he's trying to make a ball and you come over the top of him and knock him. Like you have to make all of the calls. And instead, they made that call on a play that completely changed the game for the second time in the day. They made a second game-altering call that didn't have to happen. And I just, oh God. Like, and it's like you can't give the Saints a pass because they put themselves in these situations. But. but- it's just so frustrating. And it's like the state of NFL officiating is like, give us robots. You know, I've been watching Westworld and the robots are doing really good in that. You know, they, they seem to be successful. They seem to know what they're doing. Why can't they call the, make the calls in the, in the games? I don't know. It's just frustrating because you know, too, it's just, it's nonstop against the saints. It seems like there's so many bad calls made against this team. It almost seems personal. I'm I'm sorry. It does feel that way. It, it, it feels personal. Just like it feels personal against Brian Kelly. Um, who who came, had a press conference where he was just like, we need to stop reviewing every play. It's really annoying. I don't like it. And then ever since that point, every review has gone against LSU. Right. Every absolutely. single one. <laughs> you, you will not convince me that the refs aren't like, yeah, yeah, that guy. Okay, so I do want to give us one positive film note. And it is the guy that we keep heaping praise on. It's the guy we just heard from. And it's Caden Ellis. He had 14 tackles in that game, 12 solo tackles. And the play I'm going to draw attention to, and I'm actually going to show you, uh, even though the powers that be told me I'm not allowed to show all 22 anymore, but they're wrong, so I'm going to do it anyway. This Give reversed by Debo Samuel. That they, The 49ers scored on a play like this against the Cardinals last week. Like, he knew that play was coming. The, the ball hasn't even snapped. Debo just starts going in motion. He's like, yep, okay. And he gets upfield and he makes this play. And like, look at the blocking. This is going to work. If he doesn't get to the edge, if he doesn't stop this for, I think it was a three-yard gain, Tyron Matthews is going to get blocked. The edge is sealed. The only guy who could have made a play on that is either DeMario, but he's got a long way to go. Carl Grandison is not going to get there. Marcus May is trailing. So if Caden doesn't stop this where he does, this play is getting all the way to Marcus May. And so that's at least a 15, 20, 30-yard gain. If he breaks a tackle, it's a, it's a 60-yard touchdown. Instead, it's a three-yard gain because Caden Ellis knew the play was coming from here. And like when you like we keep talking about Caden Ellis, we keep heaping praise on the guy. And like I, I think it's fair to be like, okay, come on, give me a break. Like, how good has he really been? He has been that good. He has been. He has been an excellent tackler. He has been an excellent blitzer. He has been excellent in coverage. He has been excellent in pattern recognition and play recognition. And this is all of that in one. And so, like, I, this is a kid who's on his fourth year in the NFL. He's going to be a free agent and he's going to get paid. And, uh, I, you know, I only hope the Saints are the team that pays him because he's starring in that Will linebacker role right now starring and it's not even a question he's not he's not a guy who's just showing up and being solid in his opportunity like Zach Bond for example I thought Zach Bond had a solid game I wouldn't say he starred in that game I'd say he has a he had a solid game Caden Ellis has been a star in the last three weeks of the season and I I didn't see it coming I really didn't no what's crazy too is he's filling in for the guy that was having a big breakout year and Pete Werner too and you just think about that if Warner doesn't go down. We're really not seeing Ellis shine as much. So it's, you know, this this is one of those scenarios, I guess you could say, where that whole next man up mentality really came through. 
Now, this is a team that's identified linebackers really well. So it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, they they happen upon this guy and they develop this guy. But it's a, it's like in a, in a dark season like this one. You yeah. look for silver linings and it's like, okay, Chris Olave is exactly who they wanted him to be. Alante Taylor looks every bit like the guy they they hoped he was. And Caden Ellis has shown that he can be a star. Trevor Penning, hopefully he can show up. Gillikin had another good game. Yeah, yeah, he's he's finally woken up from whatever stupor he was in. But yeah, so like that's when you look at like, okay, what does this team have going for it going into next season? Obviously, they don't have a starting quarterback of the future. They don't know, but they do have a lot of intriguing young pieces that they've been able to draft. And that's why my main criticism of how this team has operated and how I want them to adjust is to stop over leveraging draft assets to move up and just start drafting the guys that you are high on. Because when they've done that, they've been successful, right? Like, I don't need you to move up and get Adam Troutman, but I need you to have a seventh round pick so you can find a Caden Ellis, so you can find a Marcus Colston, right? Like, because if you don't have those picks and you don't make those picks, you're not getting those guys. No, and you mentioned Troutman. That's been one of my biggest disappointments. I just don't. He had a nice catch in this game. Sure, one catch. I think it was the first, like the first drive. Yeah, then he disappeared for the rest of the day. That's what seems to happen way too often with him. I wish he was just. We'd see more of that, and it just he hasn't been that big pass catching tight end that I think we were all hoping he would be. Yeah. And all right, that's gonna wrap it up for us on Inside Black and Gold. This is drum roll. Our 50th episode, which is kind of exciting. It's We started this back in the offseason, and I think it's gone pretty well. If you're a fan, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. If you want to watch it, we do live stream a lot of these on YouTube. So head over to WWL Sports on YouTube and hit the subscribe button there. Don't miss an episode. As I mentioned in the first segment, check out my Twitter account at Jeff underscore Nowak for the giveaway details on the Saints baseball shirt. We've partnered with Ultra Game NFL to do some giveaways, and we're excited to do that. I'll be posting the details on how you can get into that drawing on Wednesday morning. Win yourself a Saints shirt, courtesy of Inside Black and Gold Podcast. All I ask is that you subscribe to our channel, leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell us what you like, what you don't. And I always enjoy bringing these podcasts to you guys. Always appreciate everyone who listens, myself and Steve Geller. You can give me a follow at Jeff underscore Nowak. That's N-O-W-A-K. Follow Steve Geller, WWL, over on Twitter as well. Check out the latest over on WWL.com and Sports Talk, 4 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3. Good stuff. Go Saints. Get a win. Beat the Bucks. Who that? Let's go. <laughs>